Welcome back to Incremental, the continuous improvement podcast. This is our concepts edition where we go over high-level thinking and concepts. I'm Devin Bedoni of Lycan Precision. And I'm Uriel Eisen of Austere Manufacturing. And we wanted to send a little shout out to everybody who wrote in. Super cool to see your shops, hear about what you're doing, or not shops. I think most of the folks that wrote in did not work in metalworking, which is cool to hear about yep. y'all and see that there's people all over the world listening to this, which is sort of mind blowing, but cool. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm going to rock the quote. Yes. There comes a time when we need to decide between what is right and what is easy from the late great Dumbledore, <laughs> um, from the quote Baron himself, Aton, who collects quotes. Um, <laughs> I find myself this week, uh, Sam is on vacation. Yep. And I am trying to keep all the balls from hitting the ground. <laughs> um, and I hope you brought a tennis racket. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> and there's so many um, things I want to improve. And it's just like, I just don't have the time to do it. Yeah. Even though they're small, even though we're here like preaching slash enjoying continuous improvement. Sure. And uh, I definitely don't enjoy the feeling. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And uh, coupled with the fact that I'm now doing a lot of things that I haven't done in a while. And yeah. so just revisiting those stations and I think like a fresh pair of eyes slash I think a lot about sort of like process and movement and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like a little bit painful where it's like, oh God, this needs so much improvement. And I've really been thinking a lot about like, I think we incentivize and sort of praise like I think about like sort of hustle or kind of just like being a good employee is sort of like shut up and do work. Yeah. And it's kind of the opposite, like, like, so after years of that, it's hard to expect someone to do anything differently, coupled with the fact that I think like, personally, I definitely struggle with, um, staying aware, like not becoming, uh, used to the current methods. Uh -huh. It's just so easy to not rethink things. Like when I was painting and Alicia was watching me paint and writing notes on what I could maybe do better. And he was yeah. like, why aren't you spraying paint? both directions yeah <laughs> i was like well there's no re like no reason and i've been doing it that way for whatever two years yeah um yeah so like not to say i'm better uh but it's 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 frustrating not having the time to address it so not being able to kind of do it right but mm -hmm. instead do it easy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah it's very hard in the moment yeah especially it feels a little demoralizing to me because <laughs> like what I really want to do and normally I just do it is like stop, fix the problem, keep going. Mm -hmm. And in the long run, that's great. But in the short term right now, like we tend to start getting complaints at five days, like when someone orders and it doesn't ship within five days. Yeah. Start getting complaints. We've had issues with like our ship station going offline today we are we don't have internet so we can't ship like there's been extenuating circumstances but it's sort of like yeah okay we just we just need to ship uh -huh. <laughs> doesn't matter how annoyingly placed the printer is right. just yeah anyway yeah um i think also like i sort of feel like right now i feel like somebody who's like 
built a car for the like before cars existed Mm -hmm. and like you got it to the point where you could like drive down the road and like you invited all your friends to go on a drive (laughs) and you're like come check out this sweet thing that i made and they're like um is this wheel supposed to be falling off? And you're like, Oh, uh, no, hold on. Let me fix it. <laughs> and then you stick it back on and you keep driving. Like, check out the view. They're like, uh, isn't there it, the hood? It's supposed to stay down. Right. And you're like, uh, yeah, hold on. Let me fix it. You know, are you saying that with like your internal, like the people who yeah. are in the shop? Yeah. And just sort of feels like we've gotten this thing to this point where it's like, we can roll down the road we can cover like core, mm-hmm. you know, our core like uh, processes, but it's it's all like just on the verge of falling apart at any minute. Yeah, um, and I want to believe that we're going to work through all that stuff. Right. Uh, but yeah, there's some days where you're just like, I know there's a better way, and right now we're just going to bubble gum and tape this right back together, and it's yeah, it's very frustrating. Yeah. And it's really tough to get out of that. I think it is. And I think also at this point, sometimes you're like, yes, I know the wheels falling off. Like we have to build a factory to make better bolts kind of a thing. Right. Or better nuts or whatever. Right. right? Like, yes, we're not going to solve that today. Cause it's literally like, yeah, the, the nuts that you can buy on the this sh- obviously completely made up example, but the nuts that you no, buy I mean, on the shelf, a have, great example a real example that we've talked about a lot yeah. is the pneumatic vices and the quick change of the jaws. Yeah. We've come up with a number of, I suspect very viable, much better options. Sure. But they're all quite a bit of work. Yeah. And so we've done nothing about it, even though at some point maybe we will. Yeah. And when we do it, we're going to be like, wow, how did we wait so long? <laughs> but it's just a big lift. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm just experiencing a lot of that right now. I think. Interesting. I think a lot of, I think fresh eyes has been a part of it in the shop with mm-hmm. a new person. Um, we had all, you know, we were working on stuff, but we'd all gotten pretty good at working within right. sort of the systems that existed and kind of having, you know, tribal knowledge and like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know that well, you wrote down that tool, but it actually means this one. Cause you told me last time that kind of junk. And now we're back to like, okay, actually fix this stuff. Right. But it's like everything. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I do know. <laughs> it, yeah, it's hard. Brutal. It is. Yeah. Uh speaking of jumping into kind of topics. Yeah. And sort of we and we brought this up I think last time, last episode or two episodes ago. Um and kind of in regards to Kanban and now that I'm like contemplating it, it sounds seems silly that I hadn't given it more thought before, but thinking more and more about having our work order slips, which are effectively our Kanban cards, Mm -hmm. um, actually move from station to station. Uh, cause we're just seeing more and more places where there's either things aren't happening due to friction. Okay. From having to like walk over to this board in the middle of the shop. Oh yeah. To, to get a sticker or check. Interesting. Check documentation or um, not having clarity about what needs to be done Mm -hmm. because as people who do work, we look at the operation and don't necessarily think to go look at this board. Yeah. Even though that is, seems like a simple thing to change. um, Right. 
I think there's a lot to be gained by having more clarity at each operation itself, more, more visibility into yeah. its status. So to summarize from the outside, yeah, and this might not be exactly right. It seems like what you were originally solved, what you originally solved with that board and the temptation to put it in one place. Yeah was sort of like part of the transition from thinking about each job as being very unique to realizing that there was a standard workflow in your shop. Mm -hmm. And I remember like discussing kind of what, cause you don't have just one workflow, right? It's like, well, sometimes they flow to the lathe and sometimes they flow from the lathe to the mill or I guess yeah. normally lathe to the mill. But, um, and so like you've sort of developed a value stream map in a funny way a bit i suppose yeah right and like i feel like that was useful and i feel like that's probably still useful so do you have a sense like as you move it as they move with the parts mm -hmm. it seems like visibility in terms of like which cells are loaded yeah goes away a little unless you have a hybrid concept i think a hybrid concept yeah we, we really just started i've been kind of chewing on it for the last week but we really just talked about it for the first time this morning as a group okay and i think kind of the the hybrid concept right now is that like so our our board as it currently exists is divided into lanes mm -hmm. per machine like which machines they're going to have to go through okay in the shop so kind of like which value stream they're going to flow through mm -hmm. um so i think there will be places where that's clearly segmented on a board like we've material we've ordered material for these jobs and you can kind of move them through Right. So we'll have like a board over by the, where the stock comes in. That'll be like, Oh cool. This is what has been ordered and we're waiting on it. When stock comes in, you can like pull a tag off of this sheet, put it on the material. And now it moves over to the, like it can be sawn mm -hmm. and put that goes at the sawn still within a lane. And then my thought was then it would go to a setup station where it's still in a lane. So that, next board is divided like these jobs now have all the information that they need to okay. be set up and then my thought was at that point we're talking about this kind of like tool like a setup cart that carries tools stock and work holding um, oh interesting from a that comes from from a central area huh to each machine that makes sense yeah we will just, that replace your work station kind of no i think it's going to be totally independent of that okay yeah um, cause I think it will be going back, you know, as soon uh -huh. as it's done, it's going to, as soon as you've done a setup, it needs to go back to be ready for the next. Oh, I could see prep. that being really awesome. I think it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the thought would be that at that point, these work order slips actually go onto the cart. So now, right. you know, like this is this job, like it has all these tools. This is its number. This is how you look it up. And this is where probably QR codes would come into play. So when you bring it over to, uh -huh. well, actually at any of the stations, you could scan it. And have more additional information. Yeah. Versus right now, I think there's a lot of like, okay, you walk over to the board. Okay. What am I working on? Okay. Job number 276 part, whatever. Uh huh. Then you walk back to wherever station you're at and you're like, okay, look up job number 276, whatever. I have a weird idea. That's probably not good. I like weird ideas. <laughs> um, but it makes me, like some furniture shops I've seen yeah. do this where the cart queuing like there's speci specified queuing areas yeah 
And so suddenly that becomes the load becomes visible in where those carts are in the shop kind mm. of. Oh, interesting. And the cart moves through the whole process. As, yeah. Yeah. And so you can kind of see like, Oh, we have a, what's up with all the carts over there. Yeah. That's not right. Or I don't know. Or like there's a queue down in front of the machines uh-huh. that's like ready for setup. And it's like, you should only really have, you should always have one cart as a buffer. Yeah. And if so, if you have none, there's a problem. And if you have like more than three and there's sort of a box taped out on the floor with space for three mm. and then another box for four, that's like in red or something. Anyway, I've just seen some stuff around like physical queuing and those carts feel like you could actually see them in the shop. Whereas a small piece of paper in a big shop, you're kind of like, ah, you know, sure. Yeah. Anyway, might be cool. Yeah. That makes a lot um, of sense. Um, yeah, I think that can evolve, but I think the fundamental concept we're working with is like better access to the information when you need where you need it when you need it yeah um and then better visibility into where that information has like what's yeah what state that job's information is at and what state it's physical stuff is at in the shop interesting yeah there's a window company in Eastern Washington and they have like five or six colors in uh-huh. the shop at any given time. I th- yeah. You have something similar by week. By I think week, they yeah. were doing it by job. Okay. And so you could have like the pink cart and the purple cart and the, and it would just be like the purple job or something. I don't know. Yeah. We were thinking about color coding cause our machines are color coded. Uh huh. We were thinking about color coding the carts per machine. So like, they so where f- they would go to? Yeah, basically. Huh, that's a cool idea. Like this lane is defined by this color more or less. Right. Um, Interesting. Well, that would be cool to play with. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> in your free out, time. Trying to figure out. Yeah, right. In the <laughs> free time. Trying to figure out where to start. I think we'll probably start with just like partitioning, partitioning off portions of it. Not trying to like, because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really need to change all in one fell swoop. Totally. And there's probably portions of it. That Are you going to do it? incrementally <laughs> perhaps nice. there's portions that i think may end up still being on a central board uh-huh because they are literally just like an information step that doesn't correspond to a physical step in the shop right i'll also say this i don't really know what it means exactly but in a lot of lean shop tours they have two functions one is kanban mm-hmm. and the other is sort of production planning mm-hmm which I know you're not meant to production plan, <laughs> but Toyota does extensively. Right. <laughs> and everyone else does too. Um, Might be necessary. But there's sort of a mix. I think the concept is sort of like the issue without, with not having Kanban, it's an analogized to like the nervous system where mm-hmm. if you touch something hot, you're meant to pull your hand away. Right. And in a big organization, it's easy to force bad moves on the shop floor. Yeah. Um, and then the central planning is kind of like, yeah, how do we get all this work through our existing machines? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think these two can yeah. coincide pretty easily. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. I. Anyway, that's something I've been chewing on. and Interesting. Who knows when we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With everything else. Yeah, so something I've noticed on the topic of Kanban, we switched to this um, database in Coda. Yeah. And we're still mid-switch, I would say. Um, but the prospect of changing Kanban uh-huh. 
the friction has been greatly reduced. Uh, like used to kind of be like, okay, well, I'm not going to rewrite all those cards. Yeah. But like currently I'm contemplating um, between you and me. Uh, <laughs> you and me and <laughs> other people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> contemplating greatly increasing inventory ahead of our paint department. Um, <laughs> Still my heart. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah uh and you know that's maybe a conversation topic in and of itself but sort of like the gutter company in the toyota way yeah where the recommendation essentially was increase your yeah inventory because you can level your production that way mm-hmm. and for us we have a few very big um customers on the horizon i don't know if they'll land right but i don't want to increase our capacity in preparation for that when instead I can just greatly increase our inventory. And then if they are like, let's do it, I can impress them with short lead times. Mm -hmm. And then if that becomes sort of like a regular thing, we can, then increase capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it it brings, you know, it raises some questions around QC and how to run all that. I was talking to Andrew at Henry holsters talking through some concepts of like, big inventory quantities but still flowing part of each batch through to final assembly as a final qc check because always the fear is like right you made a bet you made a lot of stuff and the error doesn't show up till final assembly Uh um and so then it's even worse than not having inventory it's even worse than having rejects it's the fact that you thought you had inventory and then instead have rejects so what is that i mean like this a simple would be a first in first out but then you're not checking till right like potentially like a week's delay so would you do like a multi like a multi-lane kind of thing I where think like 10% goes straight through and 90% goes into buffer I think so something like that and he had a cool idea of programming the CNC so that as it's running it's setting like every fifth part aside or every tenth part aside into oh. so you're getting sampling throughout the batch Interesting. Which is kind of cool. Obviously, that leaves you semi-susceptible to, like, errors that are predictably on part 5, 10, and 15 or something sure, like that. Sure. But that feels... Anyway, I'm not sure it's necessary, but kind of cool idea. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but sort of thinking through, like, how do we manage that and how do we correlate it back? Like, when it lands on our assembly station, especially with colors that don't sell through as fast how are we fast tracking it to the head of the queue all the way through and then feeding that information back once it does assemble well, Uh, feeding it back to clear that batch and be like, okay, it's past, you know, QC. Oh, because you still need to correlate them? Right. Otherwise it's like, okay, we got rejects. We don't know where they're from or which one of this thousand, you know, batch of, say we have a few bins of a hundred parts, right? Yeah. Like right now, our inventory is around 120 parts. Uh huh. Um, and we'd probably bump it up closer to a thousand, is my thought, or 500 to a thousand, depending on the part. Uh huh. Anyway, well, there could be. I mean, not to get too into the weeds. <laughs> Let's get in those weeds. But uh, I can think of a few ways <laughs> it could work potentially. One would be not trying to attempt to fast track some of every batch. Mm-hmm. But say you fast track. Like what? What your batch quantity is sixty? Is that right? Depends right on the part. Okay, but yeah. roughly, let's say yeah. So let's say every fifth batch, 
you flow straight through and oh, then the other four batches go into a first in first out that would right. be like very simple for tracking that's true that doesn't those other four batches then have a huge delay if there is an issue in those and right so that's not ideal but then the other thought would be a different thought would be as if you imagine kind of like a bunch of cars like like on the east coast where there's like toll stations everywhere mm-hmm. and that's a, true a bunch of cars come you know through on two lanes yeah and then they split to go through like 20 toll booths uh-huh um <clears throat> and then sort of rejoin if everything's if so if you t- imagine one like imagine it as like i don't know like a, a bus mm-hmm. this is getting a little weird now but imagine a bus comes in as a batch okay people get out of the bus they all go through the toll booths yeah the people the like five people that go through toll booth one get fast tracked the other people get regrouped into a batch yeah but that batch goes into the first in first out mm-hmm. backup yep. stock yep so that you'd still have some traceability you would have right. to start so we actually need to know that those batches. five people got off of bus whatever yeah that's the part that i'm kind of that is a little um, tricky the other option is to sort of pay a price in, on qc in the machine well, like wait, i could do, do more intense though? probing and stuff like that you ev- intermittently wait backing up one yeah. second if you need you need to know if you want to correctively uh partition all of those parts out but if like if mm-hmm. the if the only goal is to find the error yeah. You don't necessarily need to know because it's going to be in that you're going to have parts in this group, like say today of 60 parts that yeah. you assembled that were made yesterday. Right. So the challenge is a few things and it's interesting because a lot of them are solved by dropping whip. Yeah. Basically the question is, say we paint, um, this is really in the weeds. <laughs> say, uh, we paint like I'm trying to think of a color, whatever deep blue, doesn't sell as well as like orange mm-hmm. say and so we have a buffer of 32 deep blue on our assembly station uh-huh. and now i fast track a batch of deep blue and it lands on our assembly station we need to know a pull those first when we get an order for deep blue buckles pull those first b if we want to keep producing that buckle type mm-hmm. but deep blue hasn't been called for by a customer yet then they're still sitting there and that's when you get into needing where we would have multiple batches with multiple expedited portions through the rest of production. Do you know what I'm saying? And so then it's kind of like, okay, this three quarter body is good. Mm -hmm. Does that mean batch of the batch of 60 from yesterday is good? Or does that mean the batch of 60 from today is good? Yeah. And so that's where it sort of starts to get a little tricky. It does seem like you need to have some sort of a, QC check pre paint because you get like a massive yeah splintering of so we possible do, tracks after paint right so we do a lot of QC before paint um not a lot but we do a QC before paint mm-hmm. but inevitably like I shouldn't say inevitably we still end up with um things that we find at a final assembly uh huh because like paint adds up in thickness and so you can have and and we've been like i i have to say like it's been fun looking back through some of our 
um, rejects. Uh-huh. And it's like, yep, we fixed that reject. Like we never see that type anymore. And we never oh, see that. Cool. Like we have knocked a lot of them out. Yeah. Um, seemingly permanently, but inevitably we find new ones. Yeah. Anyway. Huh. That's, that's a knot to untie. Yeah. But it really would give us a lot of, um, we could start playing with the big boys, if you will. <laughs> um, no, we could start supplying bigger orders yeah. without needing a humongous facility. I think like two weeks ago or something, I asked the question of like, how do you deal with delivering things fast without just having excess capacity? Sure. This is sort of one way. Yeah. Right. Because we do have excess capacity spread out throughout the year. Yeah. In fact, we have quite a bit of excess capacity. Sure. Interesting. And so this is the real downside of like JIT. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is sort of when someone's like, Hey, can we have that tomorrow? And you have to say no. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. I, it seems like there's obviously potential to get very, very in depth on this problem. Kind of backing up to like, what can you test tomorrow or like yeah. what's an acceptable level of risk? Uh, you, you know, you could also say like, we are taking a risk that there is some bad product in this but we're gonna can we're just gonna partition 100%. it and continue to run our normal production and then we'll have 100 percent like feedback on what we're doing on the day-to-day and when we pull this safety stock you win some you lose some. <laughs> we're aware that there's some risk in there yeah i think what i'll start off with is treating it again going back to like this thing that I've been getting better at, I think is not disrupting the way we do things by introducing new ways of doing things, Mm -hmm. but instead just running them as tests. Yeah. Like completely parallel sort of what you're saying. Yeah. So I'm sort of thinking we make big batches of stuff. We do completely different methods of testing. Like maybe I just send some into paint. I put a specific tag on them. Uh I pull them out. I do a complete assembly test. And then a failure mode, you know, I actually break them on our tension, like, you know, I load them to max and see what happens and make sure, you know, and like, I'm putting more labor into it, but it's sort of like the cost of that time versus the cost of hiring more people to deal with a huge spike in production. It feels like in the realm of sort of rationalizing production. Yeah. Like I don't need that to be the same process and I don't need it to be as efficient, especially to start. Uh huh. I think. Yeah. Also, like thinking about how standardized a lot of your stuff is, seemingly. Yeah. It doesn't seem crazy to think like, like I don't know if it would actually be that big of a tracking nightmare necessarily. Right. To be like, okay, we have, <coughs> we take from these bins for the top rows of every paint thing. Yeah. And then the top rows go back into separate bins and we just literally have, or even the same bin, but with a, dis, with a divider in it, that's like this side is, is partitioned for fast tracked work. And this side is pulled from safety stock. And you know, for in the short term, you may not know where your safe, where the safety stock was made in what batch. Right. But at least you know, which was which it's making me realize um, something I um, so I wanted to report back on the yellow car- index cards yeah. and this is related. Um, it's been a huge game changer in the shop, uh-huh. which is funny because it is a laminated index <laughs> card. Um, and so we've made a lot of updates to tool paths. Yeah. We've changed tools and every time you just go through and make a note on all these yellow 
yeah pieces and it's just really easy and then i've also gotten to a part that has a yellow tag on it i just read what's on the tag i watch one part and i'm like yep it's yeah. tool two i have to be careful of or tool 15 16 and number two yeah it's been really really good um which makes me think that lowering the uh sort of i don't know what the word is exactly just making it easier to track things even imperfectly mm-hmm. is really useful. Like I could have built a database that tracks all of our programs and it knows what tools are in them and sure. so on and so forth. But yeah. actually a yellow piece of paper gets you a long way. Yeah. I wonder if I should just order some metal business cards and inscribe like numbers one through 20 and leave uh, two of each and leave them in a pile. And then you can sort of put one in a batch and take one along and it could live with the parts mm. in the oven. Uh huh. Just a quick way of being like that goes to there or something. Yeah. yeah. And Cause how many batches are we going to have? We're in a pretty small shop, right? Yeah. So I feel like that would work or I wonder, I bet McMaster has like heat resistant pens or something. Right. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's like, so maybe I, I wonder if I could write on the parts. That would be so nice. It probably would mess up your paint. But Almost certainly. Yeah. <laughs> but if they're test parts anyway, maybe oh, I don't care. Yeah. Like I just tag them. Like sure. Write I mean, number two on it and put a number two in the basket of. Yeah. In an ideal world, you're not scrapping material just to test this. You really just want to know. You just totally. need to know what's what. Yeah. That said, we will move in a direction of scrapping more. Um, to test. To test. Like one in every batch of 100 pulled to max uh-huh. doesn't seem crazy to me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now it does add cost, so maybe we do a line of. I was thinking mostly in terms of like time to actually do the testing and stuff. Yeah, I do like doing the test. <laughs> You're like, oh man, that is strong. Yeah, <laughs> it's always nice. It's, yeah, I mean, information. Uh, this is not a hot take by any stretch, <laughs> but information is so powerful. Yeah. Uh, today, I or this week, we are running some parts for an internal product that we make. Oh, cool. And they sell pretty slowly. So the last time we made them was probably two years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe longer. I don't know. It's been a while. Just saying. And we've made a lot of changes since then. <laughs> to like <laughs> to the machines and what tool is what and all that stuff. Or Yeah. And information tracking specifically. Okay. And I was like, okay, this isn't going to big deal. be a big deal. These We've programmed and run these before. And then I was like, oh my God. Like. Literally, I couldn't even find the G code. I knew there was good G code. Like we'd uh-huh. run it prior. Interesting. And like I was going, as you know, doing the like click throughing files thing, being like, <sighs> and I was like, I'm pretty sure I made setup sheets at one point when we were doing this, but like could not find it. And that's because in those two years, you've moved to like Airtable and so on and so forth, or that slash when I was doing these, I think I, I think the last time we made these, I was working by myself and probably Uh, not documenting barely anything. (laughs) Gotcha. So (laughs) going quite a ways back, quite a ways back. Yeah. Um, and it was just like incredibly notable that like our systems are not perfect by any stretch right now, but the amount of information that is actually there, even though it's just like whatever weird text files and stuff is, Gets the job done. Infinitely more than zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. That's the thing. Yeah. And having a place where you can always find a thing is. Yeah. Amazing. And for me, those yellow cards, 
I the biggest part for me is not that I can find them. It's that I will come across that information. Right. It's where you going to be anyway. Yeah. And like I can imagine a world in which I just put a card on there with a QR code that goes to the current file or something. Right. And so I yeah. just put updates in that file. And then the yellow card means like go check the file. And yeah. Click an unresolved, ta- you know, ticket item or something. Yeah. I can imagine a hybrid approach because writing all of them out is annoying. Yeah. It would be really nice if it was in Coda and I could just be like, hey, add this tag to all of our current products or all products that mm. whatever. Like, yeah, there's things I can do. But yeah. Yeah. My long term vision, I think, for these work order slips is that they end up being uh, QR code scannable so that when yeah. you grab it and you're at a workstation, you can just scan it and the relevant information comes up and yeah. it could get to the point where like, this is for the sawing. This is for the setup sheet. Uh-huh. Like this is oh, yeah. for the material type. I don't, that's probably more, we'll start with just like getting to the right place. Yep. But do a little scrolling when you're there. Yeah. Yeah. You can deal with a that little feels bit of like scrolling. A- a big step in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. But I think it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, where do we start on that topic? All over the place. Kanban. Lean, I think. Lean. Lean. Yes, <laughs> um, of course. Oh, yeah. Increasing inventory because it's so lean. Oh, yeah. That's over. Yeah. Do. Yeah. Anyway. Um, one other thing that we were talking about today. So the, like, I feel like there's this fundamental challenge with organizational systems of expansion without breaking. <laughs> yep. <Yeah. laughs> uh, so we're, we're kind of in the midst of a maze major tooling overhaul tooling okay. management overhaul, I guess I should say, um, figuring out what are actually standard tools. How do we define what's a standard tool? When does a non-standard tool become a standard tool? How many holders do we actually need? How many mm-hmm. do we actually have? Um, where do you find the tool that needs to go in the holder? All these things. Right. Um, how do we get them from the setup station to the machine? Make sure they're the right one. All the, it's, it's like, I'm realizing that this is a very key roadblock in our process right now. Interesting. Um, but I was having some discussions with Alec white, a good friend of the pod. Um, and he had this idea, which I think is, at first blush makes you cringe very bad, but, uh, oh. but I think it's genius and it's kind of similar to how we're managing our tool rotating tool assemblies now. Okay. So our current rotating tool assemblies are basically, uh, a tool, a cutting tool, let's say a three eighths end mill, a holder and a stick out. Uh huh. And that has an ID number. Okay. The ID number is more or less random. Mm-hmm. Basically like I have right. them r- roughly grouped into like, indexables solid carbide end mills drills taps reamers okay um and basically every time i add a new tool i just increment to the next number becomes a new id which if you try and you can't back derive any information from the id exactly there's no embedded well there's one piece of embedded information (laughs) right um so similarly, we have been running into this issue where we started out with a very nicely organized tool cabinet mm-hmm. with like rows divided into quarter inch and eighth inch and three eighths and all right. of this. And then very predictably, let's say the quarter inch <laughs> ran out of room in the row uh-huh. and you couldn't add another bin. So then somebody just put two 
tool part numbers in one bin and now the system's broken because you don't know which one you're looking at. Yeah. And when you have uh, tribal knowledge, that's not a big deal because you can find the one that you know is correct. Totally. But as soon as someone new comes in, they were like, uh, this is chaos. They're like, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't what it says it is. What's this? You're like, oh, well, yeah. let me tell you. <laughs> I happen to be an expert. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Alex's idea was basically that the tooling organization has nothing to do with size or flute count or anything specific. The, to organ- the physical organization. The physical organization. Okay. And the naming convention has nothing to do with the physical size or anything to do with the end mill. It's just a number. I assume this is the cringe stage. This is the cringe stage. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> However, uh, it allows the expandability because basically if you add a new tool, you just add another bin and you increment the number. And as long as your information systems correlate properly, right. When someone goes to find number two sixteen, they're all in a row because they incremented as you added them right already. And it's very easy to find two sixteen right after two fifteen instead of looking for yeah. a three eighths three flute with a thirty thou corner rad with polished flutes. Hmm. which is actually a lot more information to try and like digest and parse and sort as you're looking through a, okay. A group of things. Yeah. So that was a discussion and then kind of what we came to, which was cool. Um, Aiden came up with this was actually combining that number Mm -hmm. with a holder ID. So we're not using a name for the holder anymore. Okay. Yeah. And then the, combination of the two become a rotating assembly ID. Mm-hmm. And now you have basically a tool st- like loose tool storage holder, rotating assembly storage and a cam system that all agree with each other. Yeah. So that you can just pull up a number, go find the thing. If it's not there, you find the two things that make this one thing. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. excited about it. That sounds good. I, the one issue I, not issue, the one question I would have, I was just trying to think like, are there advantages? Like when, what are the scenarios when having things grouped by similar physical attributes would be useful mm-hmm. and it would be something like, I could imagine this. I could imagine this happening. I could also imagine designing this out would yeah. be like, Oh, we're out of this one or like, Oh, we need this. It is not a typical thing, uh-huh. but here's something that will totally work. Uh huh which is probably how you started operating, right? It's like, we yeah. need something with longer reach. Oh, look, up three rows is another three flute, three yeah. eighths end mill. That's sure. a little longer. Great, we'll use that. Uh-huh. Would you maintain, like, do you just, do you maintain sort of that side of things as a separate kind of like aberration that gets a special, special tag, <laughs> right? Cause like sometimes it's just like, oh yeah, we can do that here. Grab yeah. this, stick it in that thing. Let's do the three holes we need to do. Yeah. My thinking so far, or it's just like throw that all out. My thinking so far is that either. So we have the like rough designation of like green tags and yellow tags. Mm-hmm. And we've been thinking of a third sort of designation, which is, you know, we talked a long time ago about like adding a magnet to a green tag if it's been altered. Yeah just didn't really happen mm-hmm. it's hard to see yeah um 
this isn't so much different, but it, I think maybe would be a little bit easier to see would be just having like a secondary yellow ring that like clips onto the green ring. So you hmm. can tell when it's been altered. Okay. The other alternative, which is maybe simpler is that if you, if you build up a tool, an ID mm-hmm. and a non-standard configuration, since we're now using yellow tags with whiteboard tape yep. that you just put it on a yellow tag so that somebody right. knows. And if we're searching not for green or yellow, but we're searching for numbers and our idea for our new tool rack is to have everything partitioned by number ranges mm-hmm. that then that should be relatively, you could still find it easily. That does sound pretty ideal. And then lastly, I think what I was just saying is sort of irrelevant because you have a cam library. Yeah. So if you wanted a three, flute and mill you can search that very easily and see all the tools you have yeah and which ones of them are three flute and then you just go look at the number because that's like that doesn't matter that's true also like every not to lean on this but like since we're talking about like (coughs) edge cases everybody in the shop has enough fundamental knowledge to know that like these two numbers are different but i know what a three foot three flute Right. Three eighths looks like, and this is also a three fruit, yeah. Bleh, three flute, three eighths. Yep. Um, and we can right. sub right now. Yeah, totally. I think the issue is just like, how many tools do you have? Right. And then if you have a whole row of bins that's 30 feet long. Yeah. And the three eighths are randomly interspersed. You're not just like, you can't sort of just. Sure. Yeah. Play your eye over, <laughs> you know, over the selection you have. Well, I think it's one of those things where it's like. But the rule, like the role of Kanban is to break your system and show you where your waste is. Yeah. Like similarly, like, I feel like this is kind of one of those systems where it's like designing around that constraint is silly when it's like the real, the real thing here is that like, you shouldn't run out of the tool. So uh-huh. True. don't, don't right. design around like having a, a good bandaid s- substitute. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. You design around not needing yeah. the tool anymore. And yeah, you need to figure something out when right. you run out. But really what this should do is make, I've been thinking a lot about this lately about mm-hmm. like making things harder so that you can. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, n- next episode's quote is very much about this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. We talked about like putting things like purposefully further away from right. stuff so that it becomes it's like more every time obvious. you walk. Yeah. Yeah. And like last week, I think we mentioned the U shaped cell. Yeah. Makes everything easier, which is problematic because suddenly uh-huh. your wastes are less noticeable. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, could you, and this might just be adding complexity, could you add a, desi- a another number uh-huh. that indicates a location so that things don't need to be, like, so the tool ID in CAM doesn't need to map directly to the physical world, like where it is on your shelves? Because that way you could have, like, aluminum tooling is here, Oh. And that's why it gets the designation of like unit, whatever bin 10 or something like that. I could like, Isn't I don't know. It still, I mean, you're still just looking for, a, you have to look for a number regardless. Yeah. Do you think it's simpler to look for a number amidst a group of aluminum tools versus a number amidst a group of It wouldn't be that. It would go back to what numbers. I was sort of saying of kind of being able to be like, what, what M3 taps do we have? Uh-huh. And I guess maybe you just do that in cam and call it a day. Uh, probably. You mean like before all this? No, I'm just saying like if I were 
programming. Yeah. And I was kind of like, hmm, how are we going to do this thing? Oh, yeah. I guess you could just look through your cam to know what tools you have available to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. Okay. Yeah. Because right now, I think I would kind of have a look in a drawer. Oh, right. And your current, your proposed system, I think maybe doesn't really allow for that easily. Yeah. You want to, I, we want to avoid that at all costs. Gotcha. Yeah. Programmers looking in drawers, not to say I don't do it, sometimes is, is bad. That's not a useful use of time. <laughs> right. Yeah. And hmm. also it a okay. lot of bad yeah. things derive from that, I think. Okay. Like I think what you should be doing is potentially looking in a drawer. Well, no, really you should be looking on like McMaster or MSC or something. Okay. If you need something that doesn't exist in your library. Right. And ordering it and making a new you know, tool gotcha. ID. Um there are occasions, obviously, when you're like, okay, does this flute length actually what's real? I'm going to go check. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that's like... Right. You'd almost rather that not crash a machine, obviously, but the person proving it out is like, this is rubbing or something's not right. And that yeah. gets updated for yeah. real. Yeah. And people know there isn't a safety net. So when you're loading it into the system, you get it right. Yeah. Also. Yeah. I think so. Hmm. I don't know. It's it feels funny because we're like this little tiny shop, and small shop big problems. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> is this really like this seems complicated, but like it's becoming clear that it's a it's a real stumbling block. Um, and if we're truly going to try and get to a point where like we want to do fast setups and have everything right. prepped for a job before the next before the prior job ends, this is key because it's taking a lot of people's time. Yeah. I think this is such a good example of where we are, what, two years into our lean life? <laughs> <laughs> lean journey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think like more and more you move, like the focus on the 15% value add versus the 85% non-value add. Yeah. Figuring out what tool you're going to use is non-value add. <laughs> Yeah, and looking through <laughs> drawers is non-value add, and it's so easy. We were just talking about this before the podcast, like in shop tours, and they show you the huge machine they have there. Yeah. It's like that's <laughs> cool, yeah. but w- how do you store your materials? How do you <laughs> all those things? Because yeah, they're they're tough and they take a huge amount of time, but they sort of fly under the radar because they're not exciting at all. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Yeah. Um. I have. A quick topic. <laughs> no, okay. uh, we, we don't super need to dig into this. Um, looking at getting a new machine mm-hmm. and what machine to get. Quick topic. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm between the R450 and the R650. Yes. Brother, uh, for those who aren't aware, they are their pallet changing machines where it's just like one table or two tables that shuttle back and forth. So it's not like yeah. a pallet machine where you can do stuff totally not offline. A, not a pallet pool. No. Um, I want to get one of those two machines over. Okay. There's sort of um, solving a short-term problem and there's Mm -hmm. solving a long-term problem. The short-term problem I have is I need more production capacity, not immediately, but coming up soon. And it makes me nervous to be running a whole business on one machine. So just having one machine that is sort of creating all the value that we're shipping to customers makes me a little nervous and we will need the capacity of another machine pretty soon, I suspect. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what's driving it. Um, And then 
So that's the short term is just more capacity. And so kind of like what lands on our on our shop floor and starts making parts the quickest. Yeah. To me feels like nearly replicating what we're doing already rather yeah. than like, okay, we're going to get a robot and load a small S500 or something like that. Yeah, yeah which is basically a very small version of what we're running now. And because of the robot, you could be loading in a huge amount of stock. Mm -hmm. um, long term, I kind of want to be bar feeding. So that looks like bar feeding an auto saw with a robot next to it into a machine, or it looks like just bar feeding a CNC. Yeah. The only brother machines that you can bar feed are the R machines at the moment. I mean, can. You can do whatever you want, but easily, <laughs> very easily. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like the R machine gets me like no matter what direction I go long term, uh -huh. robot feeding an R machine would be like living the high life. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> it lets you when you're loading one table, the mill is running on the other table. The yeah. spindle is running on the other table. So <clears throat> um, that's kind of the thinking. The, the, the difference between the R650 and the R450 for me, because I'm doing really small parts, I think comes down to. Uh, the 450 is a lot less space in the shop, which is nice. Um, and the the upside of the 650, f I think short term is that I can put a lot of stock on one table, and yeah. so I can run much longer le uh, run, run times time. right off the bat. Overnight runs being the the goal. Yeah, there. yeah. And so, um, and then longer term, what do you think about running part families? So instead of running one part for a long time, I'd run two parts. Yeah. I like it. I think like we've discussed, um, there's some p potential pitfalls, but I think they're not, I think they're pretty easily solvable. The main one being scrap rates, not being, uh, equivalent, equivalent potentially. But so you'd need to have a, a secondary process in place to rebalance. Right. Or your process would need to be balanceable always. So, and one, one thing Henry, uh, sorry, Andrew Henry raised was, um, the difficulty potentially of getting one part to run overnight might be multiple, like Multiplied. then getting three parts to run smoothly overnight. Um, what do you think that's, I just like the, at first glance, that makes a lot of sense. But do you think that's realistic? I don't know. And then the other question is, depending on your time frame for achieving balanced production between all the parts that belong to an assembly, yeah. I could also theoretically just run an R450 through the night on one part, and then the next day I'm running the other parts. Uh -huh. Right? So I just put my longest runtime item sure. overnight, and then yeah. during the day I run the other parts. Like, I think this comes back to the like sequential standard or standard sequence of production. Yeah, concept. standard sequence, SMED changeovers, because like running a family of parts, that's three jaw sets onto three different vices. Well, those that happens regardless. Yeah, it's just all at once. So yeah. you're not doing like it's gonna be a you know, if you're running macros that tell it how much of each part to do would be pretty simple, but yeah. you're editing a program, it it becomes non standard more quickly. Uh, right like right now we have a very standard workflow we need a tray of parts we need a vice we need vice jaws uh -huh. we need gripper fingers and i think what you're saying is you're basically doing that but times three right you're doing the same thing but th in th three times yeah or i mean just like it can still be a tray of parts it's just a tray that has three different stock sizes on it and it's still a tray of gripper fingers and jaws it's just a few yeah. more of each so i don't 
I'm just pushing back a little bit. I no, don't I think hit. it's fundamentally any different. It's just a little right. And do you think I could more. run if I cut the soft jaws on like vice number two on a trunnion? Do you think I could run them successfully on vice number one? Uh, there's a <laughs> lot of variables that influence that, but like, yeah, but yes. I do think so. Theoretically or realistically? Realistically. Well, depending also on what your tolerances are. Uh-huh. But um, I think especially considering that you design your own parts. Yeah. Um, and could design around those potential mismatches. I think they would mostly be aesthetic issues that on you, two. Yeah, that you'd <clears throat> be running into. Mm. Um, I don't. And if you made your tooling well, I don't think that would be a problem for the parts that you do. Yeah. Interesting. I don't think that's true of everything for everyone, right, obviously. Right. And I'm not that sure. That said, there's systems that are built to do that. Like just probe it and adjust your offsets or or, or like pallet, like quick change. Like zero points? Zero point systems that will absolutely reliably repeat. So assuming, mm-hmm. you know. Assuming, so assuming like the trunnion is set up well on the machine and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. It's coming back to like actual kinematic. Right. You know, physical constraints does it move the same over yeah. here as over there yeah so the, yeah. not to trivialize that because like our trunnions are not perfect i think we have a few thou of of displacement from one end to the other uh-huh. you know through its travel in different positions right um so there's some parts where we'll yeah if we are repeating in a different position that would you know you might see it right or there's some parts where it might scrap apart but right. like we're not usually doing Uh those that way interesting but also that's an easy thing to standardize yeah i know i'm not sure why i'd need to i was just sort of thinking about potential downfalls yeah um and then lastly it's going to like the r4 the r650 i modeled up our shop it's it's kind (laughs) of comical the shop will be inside the machine (laughs) yeah you open the sheet metal to walk (laughs) over yeah i mean it's it's doable Uh it's tight yeah. Um, and then I could sort of make the case of like buy the machine that works. You could sort of talk both ways, right? Buy yeah. the machine that makes sense now. Make good parts. Yeah. Ship good parts. You're going to be buying another machine, then buy a different machine. Then. I feel like that's the argument you would give to me. Yeah. Uh-huh. But but then you're you sort of said the other day that now that you've moved, it's frustrating that you bought parts that fit your old shop essentially. Bought machines that fit my old shop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That being said, like we wouldn't be where we are. Right. So it's sort of a moot point, but yeah. So how annoying should the shop be before it's like, you know what? <laughs> we're just going to get a four fifty for now and it's going to be a huge, like uh, it's going to be great either way. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Um, I mean, I think you probably would reorient the shop around it. Well, actually, I haven't seen the model and see oh, yeah, how yeah. tight no, it is. Both but. require a total redo of the shop. It's just that the 650 does not leave much room around it uh-huh. for like, like I was like, where are we going like to keep walking? Mater- <laughs> no, we can walk around it like with 30 inch aisles. Uh-huh. But then I'm kind of like, where are we setting up tools? Where are we yeah. keeping trays of stock that are going to be run? Where are we like, where are we keeping all of the vice jaw yeah. Um, and tray setups and like there is again there is room <laughs> anyway i don't know if you have any wisdom i think without seeing much more information not really yeah i suspect yeah 
I don't know. Oh, and one thing that I thought was of interest in from a lean concepts perspective yeah. is I was kind of thinking like single piece flow is the dream. Sure. Which sort of suggests like doing one at a time. And so doing a family of <laughs> parts, bless you, from one standpoint is uh, you have more whip. But yeah. on the other perspective would be you're actually achieving from a systems perspective, you're achieving single piece flow on the assembly. Yeah more closely because you're yep. balancing production across all parts. So I think it's better. And that machine has a slower tool change time, uh-huh. but then you would be reducing cha- tool changes because you could use those tools across three parts, which is kind of cool. Maybe, maybe certainly maybe not if you were tr- being able to have variable balanced production, cause it would all be one part program at that point. Mm, I see what you're saying. Right. I wonder if there's a way to do that. I mean, there is a way. I wonder <laughs> if it's wor- worthwhile. I mean, yes. Right. So you could have a standard production program that uh-huh. is that does leverage that, and yeah. then you could have one that's more flexible and yeah. less optimized for makeup. In a classic twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my suspicion is that the 450 will be the way, unless you're making a strong commitment to move soon. Hmm. Right. Yeah, which I probably am, but <laughs> I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Or build some walls. <laughs> walls for what? To make your shop bigger. Oh, oh yeah. Do a little expansion, a yeah. land grab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My landlord probably won't mind. No. Um, awesome. Well, probably a good place to wrap. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Once again. And as always we enjoy this very much and uh enjoy getting to interact with you all and share our crazy wacky ideas yeah those emails were really fun to read yeah um if you guys want to send us emails do even it. unprompted yes which some of you already do and we really appreciate it it's really fun to yeah continue the conversation and hear from people who have much more experience in a lot of different areas yeah um yeah absolutely um we do have a patreon as we keep mentioning um please check it out if you get value from this podcast, um, you can find me at austere underscore manufacturing on Instagram and austere manufacturing.com or austeremfg.com. Both go to the <laughs> same place. And you can find me at lichen underscore MFG on Instagram, lichenprecision.com on the internet, and the pod at incremental CI on Instagram. And fix something today at gmail.com. Yeah, that one. And we will talk to you soon.